0: How you guys doing, man? Yeah. I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad you guys showed up. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm always, uh, <laughs> I'm always just so overjoyed when I see anybody show up on the last day of school. So much less, I didn't. I wasn't quite expecting this many people. So. Way to go. You're more godly than the other people. So we're going to hit this, man. We're going to go after this. It's James, part five. We're finishing up chapter two. Let me pray real quick, and i got a lot to throw at you. Um, So let's do this. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we desperately need you in this place tonight. We've, We've acknowledged that. You are it. You're it, Lord, and I pray that you would be the centerpiece of everything that happens in this place tonight, in small groups, our talkback groups, just a little bit as we go to them. Um, Lord, would you lead us through this scripture? Get me out of the way. Lord, I yield myself to you. I need your wisdom. I need your power, and so, Lord, I pray that you speak through me and and use this this little broken guy to accomplish something for you tonight and pierce the hearts of, of every single one of these students and leaders and myself with your awesome, awesome word. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now here's, here, here's what needs to happen. I need to tell you right now a, uh, a very, very traumatizing story from my childhood in order for what we're about to talk about tonight to make sense, okay? So I have to tell you something that traumatized me when I was a kid, and I don't say that lightly, and that's not a joke, and, 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 and you'll, get, you'll get it when, whenever you hear the story. Um, when I was about 10 years old, my, my mom and my stepfather uh, got us a dog, Okay? It was actually the first dog I ever had growing up, okay so they they got us a dog, and you've got to understand something about me. I grew up and, and we didn't really have money, like we were pretty poor and so my 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 mom and my stepfather um, they didn't like go buy this dog from a breeder or they didn 't even go to like the, the animal shelter here's how they found this dog. They went to the city dump to drop off some trash. And when they were dropping off the trash, this this gross-looking, skinny mutt runs up, this brown, nasty-looking dog, um, and they felt bad for it. And so they, 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 got, they got this dog, they put it in the truck, and they drove home, and they brought us this dog, okay? So they bring home the dog. And we named we named her Annie, and you gotta understand something about Annie. Annie was like the ugliest dog you've ever seen. I mean, she was she was ugly. I mean, she she looked like she was the cross between like um, a German Shepherd, a Labrador, a Bulldog, and a Doberman, maybe. So it was like this crazy mixture. She was like this. German Labulberman, right? I mean, it was like this weird mixture. It was almost like 10 different breeds of dogs got together in a room and said, let's have a baby, right? I like, I don't even know if that could happen, actually. Um, <laughs> that was kind of weird. Um, yikes. It, that, would like, that would like be a miracle. Um, but But it was like this gross, nasty-looking thing. And Annie was like, not only was she... Like the ugliest dog you've ever seen she was the dumbest dog you've ever seen I mean annie would do like this crazy stuff like like you couldn't train her like no matter what you did She couldn't she couldn't get it. So like we would throw a toy to her Okay, so you'd throw a toy like you do to your dog. You'd throw this toy Annie would turn around run after it And then keep going and going and going and going into the woods and she'd stay gone for like a day She'd run right past the toy and she'd just go spelunking or whatever she did, hanging out, and then chasing squirrels. And then she'd show up. She'd like, you're, you're just dumb. Um, and, and then, like, not only that, Annie was like, she was like this crazy dog. And some of you, maybe you had dogs like this. She was like just this, this hyper all the time, just would never calm down, like she ate up you know, a huge bucket of coffee beans or something, and she just, she would jump, like whenever you got home, she would like jump for what seemed like a half hour just on you, right? And so she'd be like, she, she was kind of like one of those really, really annoying, you know, skinny punk rock dudes in the mosh pit at a screamo concert, right? Just, ah! 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 all the time, and you're like, get off me, and you couldn't kick her because if you tried to kick her, she'd think you were playing a game. So she's like, oh this fun, yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, seriously, get off me. And you'd punch her and she's like, woo! And she's like licking you and you're like, dude, this is annoying. You'd have to lock yourself in a room. So like a dumb hyper dog, and then only that, she was just destructive. She would destroy everything. She destroyed shoes. Like, I I can't even remember how many shoes she she just destroyed. Uh, She destroyed, uh, one time, one one of my spelling books, my school spelling books, destroyed it. Um, One time, she destroyed a hammer. I don't understand how a dog, how can a dog destroy a hammer? I don't know, but she destroyed a hammer. Um, And and so, here's the thing about Annie. I mean, just think about Annie. Annie was like this annoying, dumb, hyper-destructive Loud. She was a lot like Nick Jonas. Okay, so she was she was uh just this really. Thank you. Um, but here's the thing. Seriously, here's what happened. Let me tell you a story. Here's where we get the traumatizing part. Um, we we got Annie, and then not too long after we got Annie, um, probably a few months after that, I had a, a birthday. And my parents, my mom and my stepfather bought me a brand new BMX bike. It was like my, my dream bike. Ten years old. It was, it was unbelievable. And so I got this bike, and it was like the pride of my life for like a week. Because here's what happened. One day I went to school, and I went you know, on the school bus. The school bus comes back, drops me off at the end of the day. My bike had been in the yard. We kept Annie uh, locked up on a chain in the yard, um, I get off the school bus with my sister. I walk back to the house. I see my bike laying there on on the, you know on the grass, and I notice that the seat is gone like like the entire seat to my bike is just not anywhere to be seen because Annie had eaten the seat like the whole seat she had ripped it off of my bike sometime during the day when my parents were at work and while we were at school, and she literally Ate the thing like it was inside of her gut, right? And so, I here's the thing, and you have to know that that's what I'm telling you this dog was Satan, all right? But there's a story in the Bible, there's a story in the Bible of where Jesus cast a demon out, and as a matter of fact, multiple demons, and cast them into a herd of pigs, and I'm convinced that's what Annie was. She was, she, there, there was a demon living in her that somebody had cast in her, and I'm pretty sure she was plotting my death, okay? Because she was just like that evil and wicked. And so obviously, that that traumatized me and so I, I remember i was hysterically crying i mean i'm 10 years. old this is my bike man this is my bike that i've wanted I only had it for a week and the seat's gone this is cray all my friends are going to make fun of me right and so i'm just like crying and weeping and, and just like so upset and I remember, like, the whole afternoon, I'm like that, and then finally, my, my stepfather gets home from work and walks in the house, and I'm in the living room, just, I'm still crying, because I'm a total crybaby. Um, and, and he looks at me, he walks in, he takes one look at me, and he looks at my mom, and he said this, in all his compassion, he goes, what's his problem? And my mom looked at my stepfather and said, uh, Annie ate the seat off of his bike today. And I will never forget what happened next. Um, No lie. My stepfather didn't say a word. Walks into his bedroom. He's there for, I don't know, maybe a minute or so. Walks out with a 12-gauge shotgun in his hand. Takes... (laughs) (laughs) No lie. Walks out with his 12-gauge shotgun. Walks outside. I'm a 10-year-old guy. I've stopped crying now, and now I'm just freaked out. So I go to the window, and I look at what happened. My stepfather walks over to his truck, opens up the, uh, you know, the tailgate, looks at Annie, and says, Annie, let's go for a ride. <laughs> and Annie, being a stupid, skinny dude in a mosh pit and a screamo concert, like, okay, woo, and jumps in, he's like, this is going to be fun, and has no idea what's about to happen. My stepfather closes the tailgate gets in the truck and drives away. About 20 to 30 minutes later he drives back and Annie's not in the truck anymore. He walks in the house he looks at my mom and he says what's for dinner? Didn't say a word about Annie. Later on in the night I haven't said anything. I'm scared because he had a 12-gauge shotgun. I don't know what this guy's about to do. I I looked at him and I said, I finally got up the courage. I said, um, George, where's Annie? And he looked at me and he said, I shot her. (laughs) Now, let me tell you the point of that story. Listen, totally true story. Let me tell you the point of it. (laughs) ninth grade girls crying in here um let me tell you the point listen listen there is a point because you have to understand my stepfather's thought process here now i am not endorsing what he did i think it was probably safe to say it was an overreaction maybe but here's the point okay here's the point if unless i say this unless i go here it won't make sense. Like we can't progress. And so here's the point. Um, what you have to understand is my stepfather's process and all this and how we got to this point. Um, here's here's how he thought, based on the past and based on what was happening. His thought process was this. Um, when he heard what she had done and he knew everything else that had happened, he thought like this. He said he was thinking, um, Annie is destroying everything we have. Therefore. I must destroy her first. <laughs> wow. Can you do that like every week? Um, okay, so get this. As much of an overreaction, and I'm telling you, it was an overreaction. I think it's sick. I still have bad dreams about it, right? I mean, like, it's, uh, it's not a good thing. But his thought process was, she's destroying what we have, so I need to destroy her first. Here's the point. Um, it's a different thing But the same thought process is what James has at the end of chapter 2, what we're about to read. And here's what I mean by that. James is looking at something that is a threat and that is destroying people. And his thought process is this. There is something that is destroying people. And it's causing people harm. And so I need to annihilate it before it annihilates people. And it's, here's the thing. What James is talking about and what James is focused on isn't like some satanic dog like in my case, but it's a, it's a lie. There's a, there's a certain lie that the people in this, at this point were facing and many were falling prey to that James identifies and, and goes, you know what, I need to annihilate that. And here's the thing, students, when you read the Bible... And especially when you read what we call like uh, the epistles, which are the letters in the New Testament written to local churches, what you find is that over and over and over again, this is a theme. In other words, over and over again, whether it's Paul writing or whether it's James writing or whoever... You find that they're writing and many times they're addressing something that is a threat and it's destroying the lives of people and they attack it and they, they come after it because their viewpoint is this is destroying people so I need to destroy it first and I need to make people aware of this fact and, and the fact that it's a lie and the fact that it will, it will take them under. And that's exactly what James does in, in James chapter 2 starting in verse uh, 14. And so I need to tell you that story. I need to set that up for this all to make sense. Okay, right on. Y'all with me so, so far? Still with me? Okay, good. Start in verse 14. That's where we're going to be. If you're brand new with us, as always, we print the scripture um, right here on the back of this bulletin. We're completely into the Word of God. We're about the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So we put what we're going to talk about on the back of these bulletins, even though we highly encourage you to bring your own Bible so that you know exactly where to find this stuff and turn with us in in your own Bible. If you don't own a Bible, see us. We'll hook you up with one whenever you leave. Starting in verse 14, here it is. Here's the lie. James begins to break this down. Here, Here it is. He starts off by dealing with it, asking a question, okay, about this lie. Here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims, very important word, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? No, no, listen. In order to understand this, you have to understand what was going on with these people at this time, and here's what it was. Um... There were many people um, in this group of of people that that James is writing to, there were a bunch of people who kind of thought this way. They they were the kind of people who would say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I even, you know what? I believe that I'm saved. I believe that. I believe that I'm on the road to heaven. I, I got the promise of heaven. I'm on the glory train to heaven. Choo-choo, woo! Right? I mean, they, they believed that they were okay, that they were saved. They, they said, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Here was their problem, though. Here, here was their problem. Big problem. Their problem was that even though they claimed to believe in Jesus and even though they claimed to be right with God, here's what happened. Their lives, okay, their lives, if you looked at them, their lives were no different than they were before they believed in Jesus. So in other words, in other words, they, they partied like rock stars before they believed in Jesus, and then after they believed in Jesus, they partied like rock stars still. They treated their bodies like the buffet at Golden Corral before they believed in Jesus. And then after they believed in Jesus, they treated their bodies like the buffet at Golden Corral still. They, they, they treated rich people and poor people with favoritism before they believed in Jesus and they treated rich people and poor people with favoritism after they believed in Jesus. They lived for money and wealth and materialism exclusively for those things before they believed in Jesus and they lived for those things after they believed in Jesus. And, and here was the problem. The problem was that they, they did that and they felt no remorse over it. They did that and they thought they were okay. Okay. They did that, and they were never convicted of their sin. They never said, man, I feel bad about this, and I really messed up, and I need to get right with the Lord. No, they said, I know Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do my thing. But I believe in Jesus. So, so they, kind of, they, they, they kind of wanted it both ways, okay? This was their huge problem. And so what James does is James says this. Hey, let's wrestle with that question. Let's wrestle with that issue for a while. It's a huge issue with you people. So let's wrestle with it for a while. Let's say your life really looks like that. Let's say your life looks no different today than it did before the moment that you believed in Jesus. Are you saved? Are you really, are you really on your way to heaven? Are you really, do you really have the promise of eternal life Huge question, huge issue, right? And James says, let's park there for a second, and-, and let's stay there for a second. Let's, let's talk about this for a while. And so, so in getting ready to deal with this issue, here's what happens. James gives us a scenario. Like, like oftentimes when you read the book of James, he's given scenarios, and that's why I love him. He's given the, hey, suppose this, suppose that. And, and this is another one. Um, in Chapter 2, look at verse 15. He says, um, suppose... Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, students, listen, this is very important. Um... This is one of the reasons I think I like James so much is because he, uh, he's pretty sarcastic. Um, and he's being very sarcastic here because here's what he's saying. He says, let's imagine this. Um, and I'll just translate it for, for us today. Um, he's saying, imagine this. Imagine imagine some dude shows up at your house and he is like wearing this skinny old robe, I mean he's like barely clothed, he's like a, he walks up, he looks completely sick and he's really, really, really really thin, he looks like he just stepped out of a movie about the Holocaust I mean he's that gross looking and that, that sickly looking and, and, he, and he says to you, he says to you I am freezing and I'm starving and your response is to look at him And you take your Bible in hand and you look at him straight in the face and you say be blessed my brother. I hope that you find shoes and pants and a sweater and a ribeye steak. Go in the name of Jehovah Jireh. Be blessed. Shalom. 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 And that's all you do. You know what that dude's gonna do? He's gonna look at you and say, Thanks, you freak. I, I really, your kind words filled my belly so much, they covered me with warmth. Thank you. Here's James' point. Listen, here's James' sarcastic point. Um, in the same way that in that situation your words mean nothing, in that situation, your words alone mean absolutely nothing. In the same way, a person who claims to have faith in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, yet they have no evidence in their lives that they desire to live in obedience to Jesus, you got to understand that your claims, they're empty. Here's another way of saying it. Listen, let's imagine on your front doorstep a dude shows up covered in blood. You open the door. He says, help me, I've been shot. And you look at him and you say, I hope that very soon you find your healing, my hurt brother. My wounded friend, try not to get blood on my patio. But I sure hope there's a hospital nearby for you, my friend, for you. Be blessed. Those words, listen, here's the point. You go, that's ridiculous, I know. That's, that's, that's what he's trying to get across. Don't miss the irony in this. Don't miss the fact that he's trying, he's trying to exaggerate here. He's saying in, this, in that same way, your, your words in that situation mean no, nothing. Here's why. What matters, what, what proves the condition of your heart is not your words, it's your actions. Do you take the guy to a hospital do you give the guy some food? Because what proves your heart and what proves your faith isn't just the words that you speak—the empty, hollow words that you speak that have no evidence to back them up. The proof that your heart's been changed is what you do. Do you see it? No, no, no. Stay with me. This is very important. Look at what happens here in um, verse eighteen. Verse eighteen. Look at this. Um, and this is what. Understand. We got to walk through this slowly. Because if we don't walk through this slowly, some of you... Are going to be confused. For years and years and years, people have read this chapter in the Bible, and some people have left being very, very confused about what it's saying. So I don't want that to be you. So we're going to walk slowly through this so that you can get it, okay? And you might need to go back and listen to the podcast again and again and again just to make sure you understand it. But if that's the case, so be it, as long as you get it and you understand what God's Word is communicating here because it's very important and it's crucial. And people all over the world who claim to be Christians need to hear this message and be changed by because it's crucial look at verse 18 verse 18 but someone will say you have faith i have deeds show me your faith without deeds and i will show you my faith by what i do now listen here's the translation faith in jesus your faith being in jesus christ and doing good works In other words, living your life in obedience to Jesus, like you can't separate those two things. Like they don't come apart. Another way of saying it is this. Um, if If an orange tree is alive, if it's living, it will produce oranges. That's how it works. It produces fruit in the same way. If you have real faith, like real trust and faith in Jesus, real faith, you will produce fruit. You will exhibit good works and evidence in your life. You will have a desire to be obedient to Jesus. Now listen, because here's where people get tripped up. Here's what happens. I've had conversations with people uh, literally over this scripture, and here's what they say. They say, well, Anson, I just found a contradiction in the Bible. I just found a contradiction in the Bible because you just told me that... Um, the evidence of me having faith is that I do good things, but, but, John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. So, so I just found a contradiction in the Bible. My response to that is, no, you didn't, because here's why. You have to understand what Jesus means by the word belief because it's very very different than what we mean by the word belief in our culture because when jesus is talking about believe whoever believes in me he's not talking about just giving what we would call mental assent to the fact that yes jesus you are the son of god okay yes i believe that in my mind yes my mind lines up with that yes i believe no he's talking about this he's talking about a belief where you are so absolutely convinced that you forsake everything else to follow him This is why the Bible uses the word over and over and over and over again, repent. Repent of your sin. That's what what it means. It literally means to change your mind and to turn in the other direction and to follow Him. That's what the word repent means. So you need to understand. And by the way, This isn't like something that's in conflict with with what Jesus taught. This goes right along with everything that Jesus taught. The fact that whenever you have real faith in Jesus, your life will exhibit it. Your life will show evidence. People will look at your life and go, yeah, I can see a change in their life. This is the very message of Jesus. And I put a couple examples down on here. Look at Matthew chapter 7 verse 16 through 21 right here on your bulletin. The words of Jesus, he says, by their fruit you will recognize them. by their lives, by, by the works in their lives, by how they live, by their heart, by whether or not they have a desire to be obedient to Christ. And when they mess up and when they sin, they come running back to Jesus. And they, they, they ask for forgiveness and they want to be right with the Lord and they want to obey him. You will recognize them by their fruit. This is the message of Jesus. Go to the next verse, Luke 6, verse 46, the words of Jesus where Jesus said this. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord And do not do what I say. Hello? Have you ever thought about that? And here's the thing in our culture, it's hard for us to grasp that because we don't use the word Lord a lot. So let me translate it. It would be very, very clear to these people because here's the deal when you call somebody Lord, you don't say no to them. Because of their very title as Lord, everything's a yes. It's impossible to look at the Lord, whoever your Lord is, which by definition means he's in charge always, and to respond to him, no, I don't think so, Uh uh-oh, no. Uh, By the way, a scripture I didn't put down on here, just off the top of my head, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. So understand, students... What James is teaching in this scripture isn't in conflict with the rest of the Bible. It goes right along with everything else the Bible communicates. It goes right along with everything else that Jesus ever said. If you truly have faith in Jesus Christ, your life will be different. Does that mean you're perfect? I hope not, because if it does, i failed. It doesn't mean perfection, what it means is it means an increased desire over time in your heart to follow Jesus and to be obedient to Jesus and to have your affections on Jesus and to want to worship Jesus and want to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Now, look at this. Verse 19. I love this. This is so good. Y'all say it's so good. I'm serious. Look at this. Verse 19. You believe, listen, because some of y'all are going, hey, bro, but seriously, man, I do believe. Anson, who are you to tell me my faith isn't real? Yeah, I live how I want to live. I do what I want to do. I feel little to no remorse over it whatsoever. I never come running back to repent and ask for forgiveness of my sins and really get right with the Lord. But you know what, dude? I believe. So who are you to tell me? Um, well, I'm nobody to tell you, but look, look at what it says right here in this verse. Um, verse 19. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's so good. Because here's here's why. Um, In other words, James is James is. It's like James is surrounded by all these people who are going. But James, I believe in God. But James, I believe in Jesus. And James is looking back at these people going, "Congratulations, Skippy. What you want a cookie?" Because here's the deal. Congratulations, you've reached the level of a demon. <laughs> Congratulations, you are equal with demons. Because I hope you all understand. You understand that demons aren't atheists, right? I mean, I mean, I hope you get that. You understand that you will never see a demon in a picket line going, There is no God. There is no God. There is no... Uh, no. No. Demons know that there's a God, they just hate him. They just absolutely refuse to bend the knee. They live in rebellion and they live to thwart, try, attempt to thwart everything that God does. They hate God. They're not atheists. And the Bible is clear on this over and over again. I mean, understand, demons believe in God. Demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We get that from the scriptures. Demons even believe that the Bible is the Word of God. The issue with demons, listen, here's here's the deal. The issue with demons is not with their knowledge. It's an issue of surrender. They refuse to surrender to Christ. That's the issue. So it's not the issue of belief. So you go, "Why, why is it enough just to believe? Why is it enough to just give mental assent to the fact that there is a God and Jesus is the Son of God? I believe in my brain that those things are true because that's what the demons do too. So what it means to really know Christ and have a relationship with Jesus and have faith in Jesus, it doesn't, it doesn't just mean that you believe in your mind, you give mental assent to that fact. It literally means you surrender that truth. And your heart caves in under the weightiness that there is no God but God. And his son is Jesus. And without a relationship with Jesus and without what Jesus did on the cross for us, we are lost and we're in danger of God's wrath. But with a relationship with Christ, we're forgiven forever because of God's grace, not because of anything we've done for ourselves. And then, look at this. This It's beautiful. Verse 20. You foolish man, well oh, that's flattering. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Now don't miss this, students. This little verse is very important because the implication here is um if you are a person, if you're a person who who believes that you're okay you're okay with God and, and you're You've experienced salvation simply because of in your brain you believe something, but you never surrender to it, but in your brain you believe it. James, James implying here in this scripture that you're, you're, you're just acting foolish, and here's why. And I don't think he's trying to be mean here. I know he's not trying to be mean because this is the heart of God. This is God using James to write these words. Here's what I think. Um, it's common sense. It's common sense. And here's what I mean by that. Um, Let's say I, I got up here next Wednesday night, we did the announcements as usual, and da 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 and cheesy music's going on, and all the guys from you know, all the guys from Dekula are up here dancing like chickens like the word tonight, and, and I come running up here after the song's over, and I jump on this platform and I say, Hey everybody, guess what? I'm a pickle and you go, uh Huh? I'm a pickle! Uh, bro, seriously. Um, no, no, you're not. Yes, I am. I'm a pickle. And if you say anything different than that, I will kick you out of church. But you're not a pickle. I believe I'm a pickle. Um, here's Here's the deal. Just because I... Believe something in my mind doesn't mean it's true. Here's the point. Just because you believe in your mind that you're okay with God because you believed in your mind that Jesus is God's son, but you've never surrendered to that truth, it doesn't make it, it, doesn't make it true. So, so, when you, so when you believe that you're okay with God simply because you've given mental assent to the fact that Jesus is God's son just like the demons have, when you're just acting foolish. And then he goes on to do something brilliant. Here's what James does. James gives us two examples from Old Testament history of people who are famous for their faith. But they're famous for their faith. Listen, they're famous for their faith not because of just what they said, but what they did. Does that make sense? So they're famous for their faith not just because they stood up and said, i got faith. They're famous for their faith because they put everything on the line and risked it all to do something and it was evidence of the fact that they had faith. Do you see it? Now now look look at what it says. Verse 21, here's what he does. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Now by the way, you can go back later and read that in Genesis chapter 22 and I suggest you do it. He says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, and then he's going to give us an example from the book of Joshua chapter 2. In the the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Here's what he does. He gives two examples. He gives an example of a man in the Old Testament. He gives an example of a woman in the Old Testament. And they are complete polar opposites. One is a noble man who was pretty wealthy, Abraham. Another one was a woman who was a prostitute and despised by the people. But the thing that both of them had in common is that they're famous for their faith. And not just because they stood up and said, I got faith in God, but because of what they did. And you need to go back to Joshua chapter 2, the story of Rahab, and, and Genesis chapter 22 and read about what they did that exhibited their great faith in God. And here's, here's the point. Listen, this is very important. Here, here's the point that he's making here. Their faith wasn't expressed by what they said, but by what they did. Um, students, you are saved... When you place your faith and trust in Jesus alone as your Savior. But here's how that works. Let's say I, and this is a really, really lame illustration I heard in high school that I've never forgotten. And some of you have probably heard it too. But it's a great illustration for faith. Let's say I looked at this stage right here and I said, this stage can hold all my weight. It can. It is strong. It is made out of things. It will be able to hold me. And it will keep me from falling. It is, it is you know, endorsed with bolts here. And titanium alloy that they use on the space shuttle. And if I sat on it right now. I would not fall to the ground. I am quite sure that could hold me. That's not faith. That's not faith. That's me talking loud. It's me saying a lot. But it's not faith. Here, here's faith. Faith is when I go, huh. That can hold me. It can hold me. It'll, if I put all my weight on it, I will not fall. I hope this doesn't fall. This can be really dumb. <laughs> okay. That's, see, here's the, here's the deal. Listen, look at me. This is faith. And the thing that Jesus is trying to communicate is this. um, God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. The point is this. If you have faith in Jesus, it will be evident in how you live. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you never ever sin again. You will. I promise you'll mess up again. But what it means is when you do, your heart is heavy and your heart is broken and you desire to get right with God because you know you've sinned against him. You with me? Now here's how he finishes it up. Um, And let me explain this. Um, Let me explain this principle right now and then we're going to be done. This idea that... um, what we, it's not just about what we say, it's about, you know, what we do. Um, when I was in ninth grade, and this is where we're gonna, how we're going to end, when I was in the ninth grade, grade I decided that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to play baseball. I wanted to do a sport. Up to that point in my life, I'd never played an organized sport ever, ever, ever in my life, and I wanted to do it because I wanted to prove to myself and everybody else that I, that I could do it. Right, So I go, I show up for tryouts, I try out for the ninth grade team at my school, and tryouts last throughout that week, and by the end of that week I find out that I made the team. I'm unbelievably excited. This is incredible because I'm hoping it could help me on a few planes. I'm hoping it would gain me a little bit more respect around my campus. I'm hoping that maybe it would earn me, you know, some shots with the ladies. And I'm hoping that, honestly, I could get a letter jacket by the time that I graduated. So, like, those three things, I'm like, dude, I hope those things can happen because of the fact that I'm going to play baseball now. Okay? So here's how this works. You need to understand this, though. I found out later I didn't make the team because I had any skills at all. I made the team because only 10 dudes tried out. And all 10 made it. So you didn't know that first, okay? Because I'm about as good as baseball as Jessica Simpson is at spelling, okay? So it's just not happening for me. So I desperately, desperately need help in that area. Okay, I'm kidding. Um, Jessica, if you're listening, she listens listen to the podcast. Um, so here's... So here's how this works. Um, get this scenario in your brain. Okay, get this picture. I am, uh, I, it's, uh, it's the first game of the season, the very first game of the season. We're playing at my school at home. Um, the, the coach, obviously, he plays me, he starts me, but he puts me in right field, of course, because I'm pathetic. He puts me in right field. No offense to any of you right fielders, but you're probably pathetic too. Um, but here's what happened. He puts me out there, and listen, I mean, I know he's probably praying that the ball doesn't get hit to me. He's probably just, please, Jesus, don't don't let this ball get hit to Anson. And and so I'm out there in right field, and I kid you not, uh, first batter happens to be left-handed. You see what's coming? Um, First batter's up there. The first couple balls that are pitched to him goes right by him. The third ball that's pitched to him, he makes contact. It jumps off the bat. It comes straight towards me. Now, now listen, um, because you didn't ne- you know this, uh, I had made a vow. I guess it was a vow. I, I basically determined before that game that on that field, I'd never played organized sport before. I was going to give it my all. I was going to be passionate. I was going to be intense. I wanted to be the leader of this team. I wanted to do everything I possibly could to win the game, even though I didn't really know how to play. But I wanted to. I wanted to just be all there, right? I wanted to be all there, mostly because. There was a few hotties sitting out in the bleachers, right? And so I'm like, and just like any guy in here, you want to impress the girls. And so you're just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be awesome out here. Like, I want them to leave this game going, who's that blonde kid in right field? I want them digits, right? I mean, that's what that was my goal. And so I'm out there in right field. The ball jumps off the bat, coming towards me. And so here's what happens. Guys, I don't know, especially guys that play sports, and maybe ladies too. Um, at least this happened to me when I was a guy that played sports. Um, I... Uh, There's like a man that lives in my brain that says things. He screams things in a really loud voice. Um, It's like this intense, maybe it's just me. (laughs) You're like, oh, that's comforting, pastor. Um, Pastor, hears voices. That's cool. That explains a lot. Um, But at the time when the ball gets hit, I hear the voice say, run, catch it. Girls are watching. So I obey the voice. And I run as fast as I can straight towards where this ball has just been hit. And I start screaming like the coach taught me in practice. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. So I'm screaming as loud as I can. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Oh, no. (laughs) Because the ball went about 20 feet over my head, got totally burned, misjudged it. It's bouncing rolls all the way to the fence. I'm so nervous, though, and freaked out that when I turn around and I run to the ball at the fence, I'm still screaming, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And my team's looking at me going, who's this loser? I pick up the ball, and again, I'm so nervous because I know I look like a total idiot. I'm so nervous, my arm kind of turns to jello. I throw it, and it goes to center field. No lie. It goes to center field. By the way, the leadoff guy who just hit, fastest dude on the team, still running the bases, ends up being an inside the park, home run, first game of the season, first batter that was faced. Most, one of the most humiliating moments of my life, I mean, gr- the girls in the bleachers at this point are just laughing, right? My teammates are screaming cuss words at me. My coach is booing, my coach was booing me from the dugout. I'm not kidding. My coach is yelling, McMahon, McMahon, boo! <laughs> Humiliating. Now here's the point. Listen, here's the point, and then we're done. Here's the point. Here's what I learned that day. Just because I was dressed in this polyester uniform with a ball cap and a you know, b- baseball mitt, that didn't make me a baseball player. The point that James is trying to get across here is this. Just because you believe in your mind that Jesus is the son of God. That's not what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian and what makes you okay with God's students is this. That you at some point have placed your faith and trust in Christ alone. Forsaking all else to follow him and surrender to him. That's it. That's it. Now... This is why, to end it, this is why James says in this very last verse here, look at it, he says this, very last verse of chapter 2, he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Um, let, let me talk to two groups of people right now, and then, um, first of all, those of you ...who would say, you know what, I believe in Jesus... ...but I look at my life since i believed in Jesus... ...and it's not just that... I, it's, I, ...it's not that you have to be a spiritual heavyweight... ...it's not that you have to be like... you know ...some incredible person who has memorized all this scripture... ...and quotes verses in your sleep... ...that's what we're talking about... ...but, but if you would say, I, I believe in Jesus... ...but I really don't even know that I have a desire to obey Him... ...in my heart at all... ...at all... ...I have a desire to obey... ...I don't, I don't do things to obey Christ... ...and make decisions to, to honor Him... ...I don't do that... Here's what I would say to you. Here's what I would say to you. Um, you. You need to understand that Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. The definition of Lord is in charge. Uh, another way of saying it, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. So it's not just about what you've confirmed in your mind. It's about surrender of your heart to him, okay? Um, I want to speak to another group now, and and it's basically the people that are the opposite. Here's what I mean by that. There may be some people in here who are like, um, maybe you don't necessarily have faith in all this Jesus stuff, but you consider yourself to be a pretty good, decent person, right? Right? And so you're like, man, I look at my life and I got good deeds. As a matter of fact, I look at my life compared to a lot of people that claim to be Christians and I'm like outmatching them. Like I'm doing better stuff than them, like on my campus, at my school. Like I'm telling you, here, here's what you need to hear, okay? Here's what you need to hear. Um, but because here's what you got going for you. You know, you're thinking to yourself, man, I, you know, I've never killed anybody. I never kill anybody. I, I go easy on the swears most of the time right, I'm one of about 50 students on my campus that are still, you know, virgins, I, you know, I, 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 I never under any circumstances listen to boy bands, right, I'm pretty squeaky clean, I'm living a good life, I'm making good decisions, but, but, but in all seriousness, you think, listen, you think that you're good, you're decent, the Bible, uh, aka God, disagrees with you, Um. Here's what God says. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, There is no one who is good, no one righteous, no, not one. We have together turned away and become worthless. In other words, all of us have sinned against God. No one is good on their own in this room. Nobody. Nobody. Uh-uh. Because we're sinners. And the Bible also says this in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. It says that our, our most righteous deeds are like filthy rags in the presence of the Lord, which literally means which literally means like filthy um, menstrual cloths. And you go, ooh, yeah, you're supposed to, because that's the point that God's trying to get across. Your most, the most righteous things that we can do are like filthy rags in the presence of God. So here's what you need to hear. You are not a good person, and you desperately need to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior. Desperately. Because he's the only one who can make you right with God and forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He lived a perfect life for you. He was crucified on a cross, died, rose again for you. And if you place your faith and your trust in him, believe upon him as your savior, you will be saved. And speaking of those two groups, talking about this issue, we opened up a huge can in here. So what we need to do right now is immediately release you and dismiss you to go to your groups to wrestle with this, to talk through this, and to ask questions to your leaders about this. And students, if any of you have questions about this for me, that's why I'm here. And so you're welcome to bring those after your small groups. Let me pray. And before I pray, we're going to dismiss a little bit different tonight. So here's what I'm going to say. If you're brand new in here. It's your first night ever. I don't know if some of you may be brand new. We're going to hook you up with a Starbucks, whatever you want. So if you're brand new, let me say you just lift up your hand. If this is your first time, anybody at all. Brand new people, newbies, here's what y'all need to do. I'm going to ask you all right now, and if you want to take a friend with you who's a normal person, that sounded weird, um, who, who's a regular, that's what I meant, and, and take them with you, that's cool. But you guys go to the Starbucks and meet me by the creamer station right now if you don't mind, because I want to. we're going to hook you up with a Starbucks drink on us tonight right now to say we're glad you came. The rest of you, let's pray. As these are moving out, as these are leaving, going to Starbucks, the rest of us, let's pray. And then when I'm finished praying, when I say amen, you guys... Go directly to your small group. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, the truth is good works cannot save us. Only faith in you, Jesus, can save us. But true faith will always result in good works. True faith in you, Jesus, will always result in good works. It will always result in what you call fruit. Always, if it's true faith. Your word is clear. And so I pray that that's what we leave with tonight. That, Lord, it's faith in Jesus Christ that saves us, but we are saved for good works, to do good works, to show the evidence that our lives have been changed and our hearts have been renewed, we've been redeemed. Lord, I pray that right now as we go to groups, you'd speak to us. As we wrestle with this incredible, incredible, and weighty topic, I pray it all in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen. All right, y'all.